0: It's the best station, period.
1: Utah's longest-running, highest-rated sports radio show. This is DJ and PK. Presented by Mark Miller Subaru. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
2: MGM P.K. in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Well, P.K., we got people reacting to our conversation about the Pac-12 commissioner. The Pac-12 has a new commissioner, George Kleavkov. I hope I'm close. He is a former MGM entertainment executive. He's had multiple jobs in and around sports, helping run a WNBA team. Helping run the Pac-12, hosts the Pac-12 men's and women's basketball tournaments. But he hasn't run an athletic department. He hasn't been a conference commissioner before. So, some of the responses coming in. Snazzy Coog the rivalry's alive. Pac-10, going to Pac-10, going to Pac-10. See, see what he did there? Yeah, but he did that to take a shot at the Utes. I'm pretty sure he knew that it was And 12. they would
0: sell their soul to get in.
2: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: You want in? I'll be right over. I did see a story. I can't remember where it was. I was just flicking around last night while I was watching uh, the basketball games on uh, the Pac-12 expanding, <laughs> and it listed BYU as the 10th candidate. <laughs> now, uh, also, it went from 10 to 1, so they had like a David Letterman top 10 countdown in BYU. I assume being 10 was 10th place, not first place. But the first place team was Oklahoma. Uh, so, and then they, they had Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. And then they had the usual suspects. They had your Aztecs in there and UNLV and Boise State and uh, Fresno. And, uh,
2: but the amount put, of money I would put on San Diego State and Fresno State, never, ever getting into that conference
0: would be very high. Well, I would put that same amount of money with BYU. Yeah.
2: Maybe the Oklahoma and Texas schools, and I get why they're on the wish list, but right now they're making more money. It's like, we're not going to come join you. How about you come join us? I mean, this is straight out of The Godfather, am I right?
0: Yes, yes. uh, You
2: don't buy me out. I buy you out.
0: Right. And uh, there has been talk of the Arizona schools and the the two L.A.s uh, joining and going in that direction uh, that they have had you know they they've tried to woo those four schools uh, over into the into the Big 12 which is now only 10. <laughs> so you have to I some I keep forgetting that. I have to always think, okay, how many do they have? How many does the Big 10 have? Uh, it does, it just doesn't r- roll off the tongue like it used to. <laughs>
2: nope.
0: <laughs> when you knew if you you know You played in uh, just the name of the bowl, you knew where it was. Now you got to go look it up, you know, with the sponsors and to change the bowl's names and all that stuff. So there has been talk of that. Uh, I mean, I don't want to see it. Um, This is the only conference I've known, and these rivalries have been embedded in me for 40 years since I was uh, a wee youngster when they joined the conference, the two Arizonas at the time. I did, didn't even register to me at the time. I mean, I, I, don't, I wasn't really even an issue fan then, back then. Uh, so that, that was to come later when I went to the school, uh, which was in the early 80s, So, and they joined in the late 70s. Uh, but, yeah, that's uh, something that uh, I don't know that they would expand. Now, I did know that the guy, the new commissioner-elect, commissioner I guess they call him, that he talked about expansion of the playoff, well, that's a necessity. Of course the Pac-12 would be in favor of that. They desperately need to be in favor of that, and they need to be in favor of an automatic bid. So, although, I see, even then I don't know that it solves your problems because if you get in because you just qualified to get in and then you lose, what difference does that make?
2: Not only lose, but get smoked. I think the, the big uh, cautionary tale here that I can't ignore even though I want a bigger playoff, not a smaller playoff, is that the semifinal games have largely been blowouts. One and two, you know, the, the one that I haven't always been, the one and two seeds. But the that there's been one team that's been way better than the other team. there have been a lot of lopsided scores. And if you put in teams that presumably aren't as good, maybe they, maybe they are, but are we going to see more blowouts? So if the Pac-12 champ gets in and gets handed a string of 38 to 10s, What good does that do you?
0: That just kind of confirms
2: you aren't as good. What can you say?
0: Uh, So what you're saying is what does it say that you got
2: smoked? (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Nice. Nice. All right, we're going to talk all about this with uh, Yogi Roth coming up in about 15 minutes. David Locke is going to be here at the top of the nine o'clock hour. Yogi Roth from the uh, PAC 12 networks coming up. Yogi I ought to be happy. The new commissioner seems to uh, think the PAC 12 network is a good idea, and that's a source of employment
0: for Yogi. So, talk oh, with the Yogi. Most definitely. Yes, yeah. I agree 100%. <laughs> Yogi, and then, Yogi, if you listen to that, like, Yes. like, was When I was listening to that yesterday, I was thinking that maybe this guy, he's coming in to. Uh, almost like a no-lose situation. You can only go up, really. And if he gets that distribution, DirecTV, they pick that up, the guy's hitting a home run right off the bat. Man, he's four for four with four home runs in his debut game. (laughs) If he pulls that off, right, that would be huge.
2: Nowhere to go but up. Uh, Tyler says couldn't be worse than the last clown. Brent says anyone's better than Larry Scott, so they're with you. Nowhere to go but up. All of these problems, can you solve any of them? You know, if you can get less expensive rent, I don't care where you move. If it's back to Walnut Creek, which is where the conference office was for years, which is just like 40 minutes across the bridge driving east in the suburbs. If you move back there and cut the the rent by, I don't know, 70 percent or whatever, leak that story to John Wilner and then take a bow.
0: Yeah, that's still high end over there, but it's not the highest end. Right. Yeah. And uh, I've I've also heard Vegas. This guy obviously has a connection to Vegas, although he did announce he's moving his family to San Francisco. But the lease is there. And Ray Anderson did a podcast uh, yesterday. He's the athletic director at ASU, and he has a lot of respect. And he said that the lease, when the lease is up, they're most likely getting out of there. And so I've heard possibly Vegas or Phoenix.
2: Vegas is interesting. Not a conference city, so you're not playing favorites. And where all the championships are with the football game going there and men's basketball there and women's basketball tournament there, they can move other stuff there, I suppose.
0: Well, they can meet anything they want there.
2: Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, we're going to take a break. Yogi Roth is coming up next. We will talk with him. About the developments in the Pac-12, uh, if you were with us yesterday at the end of the show, we were talking about uh, Bowler got us going on uh, slow playing golf slowly. The, the person who loses the ball slows down their group. Everybody goes and hunts. And then everybody behind them gets backed up, and it turns into a nightmare. PK, did yeah. life imitate art? Did you, t- did you get, into, get into that debate on the show and then live it yesterday?
0: Literally. literally literally, and it got tense really yeah
2: all right uh we will get to that coming up dj and pk it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone JPK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time to welcome Yogi Roth back to the show. You see him on the Pac-12 networks, frequently on here in the morning with us, and we appreciate having him back. Yogi, good morning and congratulations.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
2: Sounds like, congratulations, because it sounds like the new commissioner is a fan of the Pac-12 Networks, and I think that immediately makes you a fan of the new commissioner. Like, this guy's smart. My employment seems like it's in better shape right now. I like this guy.
1: Oh, uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, watching the press conference, you were like, yeah, you heard that line, and uh, I was excited about it, as, as we all should be, right? We know the potential of this thing. I, I met George years ago. Um, I was reminded on YouTube yesterday. We interviewed him actually on the Pac-12 Networks. We made our announcement to go to Las Vegas for the football championships and, of course, adding from the basketball championships there. And he was, he was really easy to talk to. And I think the number one thing in entertainment is likability. I learned that at 19. I went to Bristol on my spring break and I watched the Heisman Trophy ceremony in their control room as a student athlete in college. And the executive producer said, The number one thing is likability. Watch Herb Street right there. He's really likable, right? And I've always remembered that. And watching George yesterday, I was like, likability was jumping through a Zoom screen, right? Imagine in person, right? We had all staff meeting with him uh, yesterday for a little while as well at the Pac-12. He's going to do great. Uh, I'm really excited about him. I think for all of us, you know, you heard the name. and Because nobody knew anything. Like legitimately nobody knew anything. And you had pause. Uh, you did a little research. You read about him. You remember that you met him. At least that's kind of was my journey. And then I sat there and, and gave him the benefit of the doubt and listened in and heard his vision for our building and our conference. And I was like, let's go, man. Like, I can't wait to throw it out for you. And, and all of my colleagues share that same sentiment. Uh, we're excited. And you guys know this being in the footprint you're in. The potential around the Pac-12 is immense. Uh, the reality around the Pac-12 is as competitive with any other league in the country, the problem is that the narrative got a little bit out of whack. And I think that, you know, it's a true reset with now a new commissioner, Merton Hanks, running football. Um, I'm really I'm really excited about it. I think our head coaches and ADs are excited about it. and I think it's going to be really, really cool, you know, whatever we get out of them, a decade, after you, if you imagine that, uh, you know, the next era of Pac-12 sports, specifically football, is really exciting.
0: Uh, that's funny you say that because all the stuff you're saying – except for the opportunity that you had to interview him. Those were my exact sentiments. I didn't didn't interview him, but I hear the name. You immediately get on the Internet. You start looking him up. And for us, it was 11 o'clock in California. For us, it was noon. I made sure that, you know, I'm sitting down at noon, fire up the uh, station, make sure I got everything covered. And I've told you, you know, I'm a Pac-10 guy, graduate of ASU, so I go way back. This is my conference. I feel a, a personal connection to this conference. And, and DJ can vouch for this. We were talking about this earlier. And I said, "Now, I didn't know the guy from Adam, but yet he was on that thing for about a half hour, 40 minutes, whatever it was. And I came away, and I said this very thing. You used the term likability. I came away with thinking that this guy's a people person. And when yeah. you go to get stuff done, being a people person really, really matters. And I, that was this is my very first impression of him. And it seems like it's in total concert of what you said. Uh, how important you think going forward as he tries to – he's got a lot of stuff that he needs to get done. Is that being that people person necessary to be able to accomplish what you want to get done?
1: I think, you know, in the NFL right now, what do they always say? And the trend right now is not X's and O's, it's communicators, right? That's like the, the the lingo used in the league right now in terms of hiring head coaches. I think it's the same thing in really any profession, right? Can you hire somebody who has a high level of emotional intelligence, which would loosely be defined as having the capacity to deal with your thoughts and the thoughts of others with empathy. And I thought even his answer to the PAC 12 networks question, uh, had exactly that because he knew 200 employees were sitting there kind of waiting on, you know, all the rumors and innuendos and things that you hear. Uh, In addition to many other topics, uh, he he carried that. And if you look at his background, to your point, right, this guy helped launch uh, Hulu, you know, the Olympics with NBC, uh, one of the largest media companies in the world, let alone what he's done at MGM. The amount of personalities he's been around and egos he's been around probably mirrors college football. I don't know if any of us or any of your listeners can name, you know, 12 high-level executives in any of those companies combined. But I bet they're very similar personalities to the 12 personalities we all know as head coaches in football, right, or in men's basketball or any other major sports in all all play. And you have to be able to, as he said, go on this listening tour, you know, make sure that people feel empowered. And then it's on you to make the call. Right, it's educated, it's well thought out, it's well versed, it's got great input, but that's really, to me, the job is to serve the schools. What's best for the schools, and I think the definition of the schools it has changed a little bit over time. And I say that because if you look at, you know, when Commissioner Scott came in, I think Twitter just started. Right, look at it now. I just I presented to the head coaches last week, and I talked about the narrative of the Pac-12 and how it's not only shaped by a third of their voices, but also now a growing number of player voices, right? So we got to make sure we empower these voices with the, the knowledge, the wherewithal, the resources, the support, as the narrative changes and, the, and you know, the, the game and the field relatively changes a little bit. So I, I'm excited for him in that regard. Uh, and I know all of my colleagues are as well. We're, we're looking forward to getting to work. Uh, I can remember meeting him at media days a couple of years ago, and you know it, what I what I felt yesterday, I felt then really likable, easy to talk to. Obviously, seems really innovative, low ego, high output, right? But strong, right? You felt that yesterday on the Zoom when he was asked a bunch of challenging questions. Like he can have a strong personality and sensibility around him that you want to get behind. And I think for us as a sports entity, my last point on him is we all come from the background of sports. And what do you want in sports? You want to be coached. You want to be led. You want to compete. You want to take swings. You want to go for it on fourth down. Like a lot of things I think, uh, you know, know, Commissioner Scott did. And I definitely know all those things are what everyone in our building wants to do, let alone the people in the 12 respective, you know, athletic departments around this conference want to do is get after it because the narrative got a little out of whack, right? It got lazy and it got inaccurate. And I think by the changing of the guard, Uh, you know, truly a a, a new change will give it a new narrative, even for those in the East coast or the Southeast that don't want to do a lot of homework, even for them, it's going to have to change. And and I think that's a real positive for our conference.
2: Well, I think I can hear the whole uh, breath of fresh air thing that, uh, you know, new leadership and PK knows a guy I went to college with used to work in the conference office. He's been gone for a while, but he was there. And he said, it isn't on the inside what it looks like from the outside there's a lot of impressions of larry scott and the people right underneath him that aren't accurate he says but there's also things going sideways on the inside that the people on the outside don't have any knowledge of and he said i like it but he says and he was going to have a career opportunity he was going to move on to something else anyway he says i'm leaving but i like it but i get that a lot of people here are beaten down and it is not good. And so all the things that you say about his personality, I think, are really important. Because when my friend tells me there's a lot of people beaten down here, I 100% believe him. And so to the degree this guy can inspire. And the another thing you said there, have you been talking to Chris Hill lately, Joe? Or Yogi? Joe.
1: Joe. I, have, Joe. I have not.
2: Uh, so Chris Hill yesterday, I talked to him. And he didn't want to come on the show. He was willing to share some thoughts. But he didn't want to be out front. You know, hopping around on TV and radio or whatever. And he said every not every time, but several questions I asked him. His answer was, if he listens to the A.D.s and they try to problem solve together, he's going to be successful. If he's top down and he sits in his office and tries to decide stuff by himself, he's going to fail. And I asked him multiple questions and he went back to that answer like three times. And I think he says, I think if you're taking anything away from this, I think he needs to work with the ADs. He said, Larry wanted to work with the presidents. He says, but none of the presidents come up through the athletic department. This isn't their front porch. It's the school's front porch, but it's not their life experience. He says he's got to work with the ADs. And if he does, he'll probably be successful.
1: And I think he will, right? I mean, it's not like he came into the job without any knowledge of what went on before him, right? And I think that was well discussed. Right, what you referenced and mm-hmm. Commissioner Scott even referenced it or you know around you know talking to ads you know in, in probably greater depth of detail I'm not, I'm not really sure exactly how those meetings went in, but he, he would reference that so I, I think you're right I think he'll enter this job really collaborative right and, and again that's the state of the conference this is not uh, just the ACC where you have Clemson and that's it in football. And no respect to my beloved Pitt Panthers. Uh, <laughs> but that's kind of the deal. Or in the SEC, it's Bama and everybody else. But the Pac-10 was that, at least from the outside looking in. It was SC and then the rest of everybody. But that, that's not what it is now. It's, it's more competitive. And I think because of where we're positioned, uh, in the narrative of the conference, the, the playoff reality, unfortunately, over the last eight years or so, is that it's got to be rising tides, float all boats. And then when you have a team, separate maybe it's Oregon and they're no you double down. But I, my biggest point I think is a 21-17 win in the Pac-12 is considered kind of an ugly win, right? Let's just say it's Oregon over Cal, or Oregon over Oregon State, right? In a rivalry game versus in other conferences, it's a gritty win. Right? That could be Ohio State over Indiana. Right? It could be Alabama or, you know, over Tennessee, right? And we all know, and I know after this year specifically, watching a lot of other conferences football games, those teams are not that good, right? They're not um, like the Oklahomas, the is the brands that just get the Michigans to get the benefit of the doubt, the Penn States. They're not world beaters. I right? put Cal up against any of those, right? If you want to say Cal is, you know, top third but lower of the top third in the Pac-12 over the last couple of years, but in that conversation, I put them up against every one of those teams. So I, I think for him coming in and. You know, listening to everybody, as you reference, is going to be something that he's doing. Uh, in respect to people in the building being, you know, as you said, beat down, yeah. I think that the last year and a half has really been tough for everybody in every profession, and specifically one in sports, where the goalposts seem to move every day, right? Games being canceled, you know, having to reshuffle production trucks, you know, the air, air date schedule. Uh, let alone the testing, the protocols, the contract tracing, the local ordinances that would go on in Berkeley versus Salt Lake City. Uh, I think everybody feels that, man. You know, I don't know if you feel that too, but I, I think no matter the profession, right, like whether it's teachers at my son's kindergarten class or us at the Pac-12, like I think the year has compounded a feeling of, you know, traditional exhaustion in your job. So I, I think this coming break here, we got two more spring games. Uh, I want to say there's, you know, maybe less than 20 events for the Pac-12 networks and the Pac-12 schools before the summer break. That break's going to be so welcomed that I think when we come back to media days in late July, it's going to be awesome. It's going to feel like it did year one with Larry Scott, or the years where SC was rolling and you knew you had a legit contender. Uh, I just, I get that sense, and, and I and I think that I'll feel that when I talk to you guys the morning of media days, like we've done every year
0: so we know that he could do some stuff from the television aspect and and negotiating deals and getting the pac-12 network on greater distribution i have direct but i probably five years ago i said i got i gotta get more actually more so for basketball uh for the pac-12 so i bought comcast so i got two in my house and you know i got to watch the pac-12 network and I watch the – I'm at stadiums on Saturdays, as you know, but, you know, during the week you can rerun the the shows that you guys do, and then I always make sure because I'm at a stadium with the Utes that I'm watching those 60-minute games that you do. And I became – I came away impressed with the product, and it was uh, disappointing that it doesn't have wider distribution. So I get that he can do that, and if he does do that, that's a home run right off the bat. But I'm wondering what you think – a change in commissioner can do as far as elevating the talent level and keeping these kids who growing up and go to high school in PAC 12 cities within the conference. So we don't have the quarterback for Alabama and Clemson being from the PAC 12 territory. What can commissioner do to help that?
1: Well, I, I, that's a, there's a real fun conversation, right? Like, you know, you can go specific to those two young men, right? Bryce Young committed to S C and then they play a true freshman and he leaves, rightfully so. DJ going to Clemson, you are gonna start there. S C chose Bryce over him, so he chose Clemson. So I think in that instance it's it's not, you know, necessarily the point that you're probably trying to make here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, gotcha. To the point that I, to the point I think you're trying to make, I think what the commissioner can do is provide moments just like in recruiting where you're in the dialogue, right? Think about, like, when Jim Harbaugh took over at Michigan. They offered over 250 guys. Mara Cristobal at Oregon, they're constantly offering over 200, 300 guys every season. Whereas, like, Chip, year one, he offered maybe 85, right? So what was the point? The point was, like, on social media or in the recruits' mind, UCLA wasn't being talked about as much as, say, Oregon or Michigan. I think with this new hire, we're going to be talked about a lot, right? college football playoff expansion is going to be one thing because if it expands we're rolling if it's not he's going to continue to hammer that right that was one of his major points so we're going to always be in a dialogue from a recruiting standpoint I think regarding uh, exposure it's going to be great you know coaches are on the road today or talking to recruits today saying the the future of our conference is amazing number one you could already get the networks if you wanted to there's a few over-the-top services, but man, we're just getting going here with this new leadership. You want to be part of this conference. I think that's what he can do to help sell the competitiveness of the conference, sell the exposure. And then I think the last one is a big one, which is the name, image, and likeness thing. Um, Obviously everybody wants the NCAA and or the government to kind of be on the same page. So it's uniform across all conferences. I don't think anybody would argue that the resources in Los Angeles or you know, even if your school plays in Los Angeles once or twice a year and you go to school in Pullman, it's still better than going to play in Knoxville, going to play in Auburn, going to play in Gainesville. Like there's just a different market. So I think that will be something very sexy that will be appealing to a lot of these recruits. Uh, and then I think you could sell his background at the leader of our conference is, was at the forefront of sport and entertainment dramatically better, uh, than any other conference commissioner, just based on his background, right? MGM, NBC, Hulu, the Olympics, um, Hearst Media. I mean, we can go down the list. I think those are going to be the sexy things. I don't think any kid's going to go to USC to play quarterback only because there's a new commissioner, to be very clear. I, I think that the thing that he'll provide the schools is the talking points, resources, and then actual data to continue to make the argument that this conference uh, is the leading conference for players because of NIL, because of the footprint and the mindset around social justice and equity and all parts of society. I think there's some really cool things that, you know, the conference of, you know, the PAC 12 is just different than any other footprint around the country. And I think those are the things that you sell. And then probably just the fresh narrative, right? Like I don't, I don't think you can kind of beat down the lazy term of, Hey, the PAC 12, they're in trouble. The leadership, not really sure what's going on there. You can't say that if you're, head, if you're Kirby Smart or if you're any other head coach around the country coming into Phoenix or Salt Lake City or Los Angeles. Like Eddie Orgeron can't say that anymore um, if he's trying to go get a defensive lineman out of Salt Lake City. Right? So I, I think those things help, but I, I don't know if he's going to you know, land the top quarterback in the country and make sure they you know, flip a commitment from one school to one in the, one in the West.
2: Sometimes you read history books, especially about military, and they talk about uh, somebody messed up because they were fighting the last war, not the next one. World War II was different than World War I. Vietnam was different than World War II, on and on. And I'm curious if that's going to happen uh, here in the Pac-12, because, yes, a lot of things have happened in the last decade, and several things have gone wrong. And fixing some of those, is it's part of the story. But you touch on name, image, and likeness, and I think the other thing, live betting on live sports as they progress on your phone. And these are supposed to be two massive new revenue streams. And I've read a couple stories that we are name, image, and likeness isn't about getting your face on a poster or t T-shirt or selling some shoes or selling you know, something for the local car dealer. That's a very small piece of the puzzle, that being a social media influencer, especially in the world of entertainment – can be freakishly lucrative. There are a lot of people in traditional broadcast media, radio and TV, who don't get and couldn't possibly pull off what some people are making off of YouTube. And that was the analogy that was drawn. And I'm curious to what degree um, the fact that he sat on the board of BetMGM and the fact that he's got this entertainment background can influence those two new things because this whole gaming thing in sports in like 10 years, it's, it's why one of the reasons franchise valuations have gone through the roof. Rich people are placing bets 5, 10, 15 years in advance that sports is about to get a lot more lucrative, which is hard to believe. The Minnesota Timberwolves just sold for $1.5 billion, but sports is about to get a lot more lucrative.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm excited to see where we go in that regard. Uh, I'm with you on the influencer side of this thing. Obviously, the schools have leaned in. I've I've talked to pretty much all of them on their NIL plans, and they vary in scope, but I think are very similar in, you know, the desired outcome, which is to be truthful with the players uh, and give them real tools to develop a real brand, and not just one that gets 500 bucks for an Instagram post. And to do that, you got to ideate, and I think that's where. He's going to really help us um, in, in the thinking around all right, how do we build up a brand? So let's just give an example that might be comparable to MGM. Instead of playing at, you know, a small bar in Salt Lake City in front of 50 friends and family, how do we start there, right? If you're a true freshman and by the time you leave the career, it's sold out at Rice Cycle Stadium and the place is crazy and 50 plus thousand people are coming to see to see you sing your song. I think it's the same thing with these athletes. I talk to them all the time about how to share your story, why you want to begin you know, that journey, and, and quite frankly, how to do it versus just expecting broadcasters to do it or expecting other people to do it. And Utah does a really nice job of that, I think, of you know, pulling back the curtain a little bit on who their student athletes are and, and what their interests are. And I think now with NIL, to your point, it's not just about, hey, let me go to Tuscaloosa and rock this you know, commercial for a car dealership and make 10 grand. I'm sure that'll happen, mm-hmm. but it's more about, hey, how can I really develop a voice? And I think that's where he's going to be amazing as our new commissioner because he's really thoughtful in that regard. And I think the programs that are thoughtful regarding NIL and their players versus the programs that want to use it as a recruiting edge, uh, I, I think it's going to end up hurting them. So I think what's going to happen, and I, we've seen this happen at SC. We saw it happen at Oregon. It's happened other places where you go sometimes for the wrong reasons. You go because Coach Carroll's rolling. It's going to be easy. You go because of the Nike swag, right? That happened a little bit in Helfrich's era. He talked about that with us um, in the past. And it's hard. And now it's harder than ever to decide do you love football or do you love what football does for you, right? Which is social media, Instagram, Twitter. Etc. cetera, et cetera, brand building, easy money on NIL, it's not easy money, right? You have to really work at it. You've got to be concise. You've got to be thoughtful. You have to be pragmatic. You have to have a relative plan. I think everything in our commissioner's background is going to help elevate our schools in NIL because, as, as we all know, at least in my opinion, nobody has it figured out. Everybody's just trying to do their best right now. It, it's a seminal moment in college athletics, I think over the next 18 months, as this thing becomes real, how do schools deal with it? Right. How are they ahead of the curve? How are they, you know, competitive? How are they unique in the landscape? Cause everything, everybody I think has to have a, a relatively unique approach based on their school and their footprint, right? Pullman's NIL plan needs to be a little bit different than USC's, and it's going to be, but it doesn't mean they can't both be dramatically successful and, and I think he's going to be phenomenal there. Um, the betting, I think, will be really interesting. It, it just seems like it's a natural step. I don't know if it's the next step for college athletics, but it's coming down the pipe, to your point. So, yeah, I, like you said, I think he said it twice in his presser, stay tuned. Uh, there, there's a lot to stay tuned for. And, and I don't think that it's going to be a lot of rehashing what happened or the way that we used to do it. I have a feeling, uh, I don't know if this would be a fact, but I have a feeling if, if you're that type of personality, around him, if you're like, well, we used to do it like this, I think you're going to have, like, one chance to you never say that again because I, I don't feel like that sentence is really going to float in our building, and, and I like that. I, I really like that. I like, you know, I learned this from Coach Carroll. You know, his underlying philosophy is we're going to compete to do things better than they've ever been done before. And I can remember writing that in his book, right? I can remember him presenting that to the teams. He still does it with the Seahawks. I see that for us. Because if you look at it, and I talked to a prominent head coach the other day, if you look at the Pac-12, why on God's green earth are you leaving our footprint to go to another part of the country, right? If you like good weather, if you like diverse cultures, if you like competitive sports that are going to get you to the next level, NFL, NBA, WNBA, Major League Baseball, all the numbers prove it. So now I think we just need to add to that narrative and double down. And I think this could be a – a decade where the Pac-12 does what the SEC has done over the last five to seven years, which is pull away to a degree because of the things that are going to be discussed off the field uh, like NIL.
2: Yogi, we appreciate the time <laughs> as always. And we do want to talk to you the uh, the morning of media day. And I hope it looks a lot like media day, 2016,
1: 17, and
2: 18. Yeah, me too, man. I, I don't know what I, it'll I look like, so but I hope it does.
1: I think we, we got a chance. We got a chance. Everybody just keep doing your job, you know, stay safe, uh, mask up, you know, if you want, if you get vaccinated, if, if you're into that. Uh, but whatever we got to do, I hope we can do. Because I, I want to call, you know, a Thursday night game at Rice Cycles. And I want to call a Saturday game in week one and, and just get after it with two and three days because week one's always an enjoyable time. And, and hopefully media days will be, you know, kind of the kickstart to, to a really fun year. Uh, around the world, but definitely Pac-12 football.
2: Thank you, Yogi. Yogi Roth, Pac 12 Networks. Join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, coming up in about 10 minutes. Stay with us. <laughs> DJ and PK brought to you in part by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Jerry Seiner Cadillac, can you shop your way and get a piece of luxury you deserve? Stop by and test drive one today. All right, now, radio listeners, we're going to do something together. We're going to hear a story for the first time. I am intrigued by this, PK. We were talking with Bola yesterday, and I don't know how we got to the topic of lost golf balls and people who search and whole foursomes that search together for hours on end and back up an entire course, only mildly overstated. And, uh, and you had the whole two and two, right? If you're well, we're not really in carts the way we used to be right now, maybe we'll be getting back to that. But, you know, two people go look for the ball, two people hit. And when somebody hits, swap out with that third person. Let them hit. Let's move this along. Hurry up golf, as a friend of mine said when he was teaching me golf etiquette. But apparently, after speaking about that on the radio, then you had an experience where everything went horribly wrong
0: yes i did it didn't involve searching a ball but it involved slow play to an epic level and it was shocking to me and words were exchanged on the tee i'll try to be as concise as possible my wife and i we decided to go up to wasatch yesterday afternoon after three o'clock you know she's off work and all that stuff and so we tee off after three it's just a gorgeous day and that's her favorite golf course and she really likes it and I try to give her, you know, whatever she wants in that regard because it just makes life better and certainly she deserves it, right? So, we tee off and first four holes, we don't see anybody and we're in a cart ourselves. We get to the fourth hole and we're in the fairway and there's a foursome ahead of us. Uh, Two men, two women, uh, three of them are walking. One of the women is driving a cart. And I can look ahead and you can see the next several holes and there's literally no one ahead of them. And we're waiting in the fairway. And the next on the fifth hole is a par three. And I'm thinking they'll let us play through, right? So we get up. We get to the par three on the tee. And we get there while they're still teeing off. And it's water. And one of the guys hits in the water twice. It's taken way slow. They didn't let us play through. We get to hole six. I can see the next two holes. There's literally no one there. I sit down in the fairway. They won't let us play through. I'm sitting down to show my disgust, right? Well, fast forward, they still haven't let us play through. We finish 9. They go to 10, but the two women go to the clubhouse to go to the bathroom or get something to drink or what have you. We pull up on 10, and the two guys are there. And I told my wife, I said, all right, these guys are friggin' clueless. So please handle it because I don't trust myself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, you may not know both the hands, and I do. What PK just did, very wise. <laughs> all the tact in that family rests with Mrs. K. <laughs> yeah.
0: So they're standing on the tee and she says, hey, is it okay if we play through? And the guy says, turns were her, we're on time. If we let you play through, we have to let everybody else play through. All right. Blood is boiling at that point. <laughs> I said, you let us play through, you won't see us. Well, then we have to let everybody. I don't know about behind. And he starts giving me a lecture. And he's going on and on. And I, I interrupt him. I said, can we play through or not? And he says, well, why didn't you jump ahead a hole? What do you think playing through is? (laughs) So at this point, we're shouting at each other. (laughs) And I look at the other dude. And I look at him like, come on, buddy. And I said, why don't you hit first? And so you guys can hit. Meanwhile, the two women are still not at the 10th tee. One of whom's walking. We're in a cart. There's two of us. You've played with my wife. She can hold her own on the golf course.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and you've, I think you played with her several times if I, I recall. I have, yeah. Right. And so she's fine. And she can hit the ball and the one the one guy's just chirping getting in my face and my blood is boiling at this point thinking what are you talking about you're on time. So just because you're on time we have to wait. Now interestingly in the first 5 holes I was one over. In the second or the <laughs> next four holes <laughs> I was four over, and that's with a birdie on nine. So waiting was driving me nuts. Yeah. And so I told him, I said, listen, buddy, if you catch up to us, we'll let you play through. Well, of course, we go, and we both hit great tee shots. And fast forward, there's a deck there on Wasatch that overlooks the – ninth green and the first it's just beautiful up there and the weather was just outstanding we got something to eat we were done with our meal when they started walking up the 18th (laughs) (laughs) hall yeah
2: well there you go
0: they literally there was no one in front of us and this doof thought we should play behind them for the next nine holes. Get a clue. Get an idea of what etiquette is. You're a friggin' idiot. Oh, my gosh. And it was all I could do not to say something to him because we're sitting on the deck when they walk off the 18th. We've all, And I already bought a hat, went into the pro shop, ordered food, eaten, had everything done. And this doof was not going to let us play through. You talk about slow play. You sir are a blithering idiot.
2: <laughs> so you were a twosome, and yes. they were—they had five. Were four playing or four. five? They, okay, four. Okay, they had four playing. Three
0: walking, one. Oh, lady okay. In I car. see. Yeah.
2: Somehow I got four, and then I added the one again. Uh, yeah, a twosome is always going to blow past a foursome. That's not even a close call. A twosome is just.
0: Mm, and I can understand it if there were groups ahead of them right. and there was no point in playing through. But there literally was no one ahead of him for the entire back nine. We were the only ones. Wow. No one was ahead of us for all nine holes. And this guy didn't want us to play through. So how what, quick,
2: how quickly did you calm down and start playing well again?
0: I birdied the first couple of holes. Oh, excuse me, I bogeyed the first couple of holes on the back nine because I was still upset. Yeah. I actually, I actually bogeyed the first four holes of the back nine, and I finished three under, no, three over on the back. So I parred the last five or last four, and then had a birdie to get to. So I shot a 39 on the back nine. But yeah, I, oh man, my blood was <laughs> boiling.
2: I can't believe a course as pretty as Wasatch is that wide open on a glorious day like yesterday. And it was spectacular. The weather was so good yesterday. That was a total win. I could
0: have played 36 without without blinking an eye. And my friend of mine just texted, and I can't read what he said. (laughs) It's kind of gross.
2: (laughs) All right, we have to take a break. When we come back, David Locke next. Stay with us.